Coming up on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast, Joel Rosen shares the story of how sarcoidosis invaded his life. And uh, I woke up and I just wasn't feeling right. Nothing dramatic, just almost like a start of a cold or maybe a, a flu. And uh, that started my journey. I was sick for the next three months before I even got a diagnosis. And now he's helping all of us in the struggle. You know, when I when I first became aware of the board and a lot of what it's doing, it does seem like there's been a lot of recent movement and, and gain in communications among and between people who are doing the research, uh, sort of this whole initiative to get you know, institutions on board. It's all coming up on the award-winning FSR Sark Fighter podcast. This is the Sark Fighter podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome. This is episode 97 of the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin. This episode is brought to you by Atire Pharmaceuticals. To learn more about their new pulmonary sarcoidosis trial called EFSOFIT, visit stopsarcoidosis.org slash Atire trial, and there's a link in the show notes. I'm also excited to tell you about the FSR Annual Virtual Global Summit, which is coming up soon. Impacted by sarcoidosis and looking for answers, FSR invites patients, their friends and family, and clinicians to attend the 2023 Global Virtual Summit. Find your community, find your life is this year's theme. Join FSR's biggest event of the year. It's November 3 through 5, the 3rd through the 5th, 2023, to hear from leading experts. You can connect with others and get your sarcoidosis questions answered. Learn more and register now by visiting the FSR website, www.stopsarcoidosis.org slash summit-2023. And there's a link in the show notes, as always. I can tell you that at the summit this year, I will be moderating one of the events. And there is also, there's been some preliminary discussion that I may be moderating uh, another event. So we're working on some schedules and and kind of looking at things right now. But if it works out, uh, I will see you at least once and perhaps twice. Few episodes ago, I told you about how I sort of tested my resolve and my abilities to do difficult things when I covered the Virginia National Guard. I was embedded with them during their month at the U.S. border with Mexico, where they are helping to enforce the um, U.S. or Texas policy, I should say, uh, trying to prevent migrants to, from crossing randomly into the United States. And this was at Eagle Pass, Texas. And it was in July and temperatures were ranging up. Uh, I think the hottest it got when we were there was 105, but it had been 107 the day before we got there. And it was the kind of heat that I was just not used to. But there's dust, there was stress, there was all kinds of different things. Um, But I told you in an earlier podcast that I was actually fine in terms of sort of what I would have called pushing my limits post-sarcoidosis. This would have been the kind of thing that before I had sarcoidosis, um, I would have thought that I uh, I was better able to withstand those types of stressors 
better than uh, better than a lot of people. Let's just put it that way. I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have shied away from that type of an assignment. Uh, but since I've had sarcoidosis and and gone through the various um, various medications and and everything else and the ongoing neuropathy that I have from sarcoidosis, I w- I was not sure that I would do well with that. Um, but as it turned out, uh, I did. I did well. I uh, didn't have any particular troubles sarcoidosis related. And so now I can share with you that we have just finished producing a one-hour documentary, uh, myself and the team at WSLS 10. And I'm quite pleased with the way it came out. We we had a lot of access to what was going on down at the border. We were there. We were flying drones. We had GoPros. Of course, we had uh, a very sophisticated television camera. Uh, and, and we were given access to talk to a lot of different people about what was going on down there, and now it's all together in a documentary, and you can watch it at WSLS.com, and of course, I will put a, a link in the show notes as well for that. So that's what I've been working on a lot uh, over the course of the last several podcasts in the background. In my real job, uh, I have been working on that documentary, and I can tell you that is a ton of work. Uh, it's work that I enjoy, but there is uh, there's a lot of it. Speaking of that, I hope you're enjoying the podcast, and I just want to ask you to help me reach more people so that FSR can be as effective as possible. And so if you share the link from the podcast on your social media, just pop it out there. Say, hey, I was listening to the Sark Fighter podcast. Good episode this week. Here it is. Uh, and and it's also important that you subscribe And if you can, just take a moment and give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever your pods are cast. And it it also helps if you give just a brief positive testimonial. Uh, I can tell you that I would certainly really appreciate that. So if you wouldn't mind, I would would be very glad if you would do that. Um, I've had some emails from some folks who have just learned that they have sarcoidosis. They're wondering how to deal with it, what's going on with their bodies, all the questions that we all ask in the very beginning. And so I've tried to answer their questions. And if I can't, Uh, I can just say it's nice to have the whole FSR team or the many volunteers, many of you who are listening, who step up and help guide these folks. And so that is, um, I just want to tell you that it seems like I've had uh, more emails than usual lately, and I welcome them. So you can always ping me at carlinagency at gmail.com. And if I can't help you, I'll direct you to somebody who can. And, uh, and I'm always always willing to help somebody else who is afflicted with sarcoidosis. Speaking of which, today I have for you an interview with Joel Rosen. He is an attorney in Pennsylvania who recently was diagnosed with sarcoidosis. Uh, Joel is the managing partner at High Schwartz Attorney at Law in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, where he counsels basically um, business and corporate and commercial folks with their transactions. Uh, He tells them how to form mergers and acquisitions, licensing, sales, financing, so forth. And he he helps a wide base of of clients, um, including uh, those in biotechnology franchises, the weight loss industry, food and restaurants, consumer products, media and entertainment software technology, and nonprofit organizations, which is key. 
Uh, Rosen right now is serving on the board of directors of several nonprofits, including the Hepatitis B Foundation, the Pennsylvania Biotechnology Center, the Baruch S. Bloomberg Institute, the Montgomery Barr Foundation, and now, yes, the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Uh, before joining High Sports back in 2007, Joel owned the offices of, of Joel Rosen, and he also has served as the Vice President General Counsel of Nutrisystem Incorporated and the Senior Corporate Counsel of Amco Transmission. So he brings a lot of background and information and legal advice to the table. Uh, but today, no legal advice on the podcast, but we will be talking about how Joel discovered he had sarcoidosis, how he's come to terms with what's going on with his body, and we'll talk about how it came to be on the board that governs so much about the direction of where sarcoidosis research and outreach together are headed. So Joel Rosen is coming up next here on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. I feel like a zombie just feeding and stumbling. Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter podcast. Welcome back to the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. And joining me now is a fellow Sark Fighter, Joel Rosen. Joel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, uh, John. It's great to be here. So you are the newest member of the board of directors for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. And that happened after you, kind of like we all do, went down the road and discovered, wow, I have sarcoidosis. You want to tell us a little bit about how things just started to go wrong one day? Sure. So uh, it's a date I won't forget. It was July 6th, 2001, I mean, 2021. And uh, I woke up and I just wasn't feeling right. Nothing dramatic, just almost like a start of a cold or maybe a, a flu. And uh, that started my journey. I was sick for the next three months before I even got a diagnosis. Three months. So when yeah. you said you were feeling sick, like you, you couldn't breathe, you were tired, you were nauseous. What just tired, no, tired, a little bit achy. Um, like I said, maybe a slight fever in the evening. But then the next day it was the same thing. And the day after that, it was the same thing. And then slowly but surely, it was it was like Groundhog, the movie Groundhog's Day, one day after another. Fevers at night. I just lost my appetite. I couldn't eat. Um, at one point, about three or four weeks in. And of course you start to get a little desperate when you're not getting a diagnosis and you're just, every test comes back normal. Every blood test was normal. Um, I had x-rays, they were normal. That just, just, you start to wonder what is going on when you can't get, you're not getting any better. Nothing was working, right. taking Tylenol for the fevers that wasn't working. Um, so that went on for six weeks or so. I was losing weight at that point, maybe four pounds a week. I mean, it was really getting a little uh, scary. 
losing. So was that because you weren't eating or because that's not something I've heard other patients say on the podcast? Or was that directly related to SARS? Directly related to, well, I mean, I wasn't eating. I, I, it was the first time ever in my life I had no appetite whatsoever. Um, like I said, I was getting fevers at night. So by six, five, six o'clock at night, I was already heading from bed. I just couldn't, I was exhausted and I had fever, low grade fever, but still it was, you know, it was wiping me out. And so I skipped most dinners completely and I would eat a very small lunch. Um, and that would fill me up. I just had, I, I never had experienced that, but yeah, I had no appetite at all. So you start out, you, you, you don't feel well. You think maybe it's a low grade virus or flu or, or, or something like that. You go to your regular doctor, right? And so how long did you continue to go through all of that with the blood tests and, and that kind of stuff? Yeah, to give you like a quick timeline, you have to remember all this was layered on top of the fact that COVID was really ramped up at that point. So this would have been oh, the right. second summer of COVID. So um, the first week, I didn't even go to a doctor because with COVID out there, and I didn't think anything I had was that serious. Didn't even want to take a risk of, you know, getting COVID on top of whatever I had. But then the first thing was you go to like the minute clinic because my own doctor didn't want to see me at that point. Go to the minute clinic. They take x-rays. They're normal. Go get a COVID test, test negative for COVID. So my doctor finally sees me about two weeks in. I'm still sick. Same thing every day. And determines I have a fever of undetermined origin. That, that was the diagnosis. Starts wow. giving, yeah, that was it. So all kinds of blood tests. Um they came back normal with one exception. Inflammation was was outside the normal range. Um, so he basically was like, well, hopefully it'll just go away. I mean, that was, that was it. Like, go just take it easy and see if it goes away. That wasn't good for me. So I went to see an infectious disease specialist who determined I did not have an infectious disease. And in his world, you know, temperatures of 99 and a half or, or 100, that's not fever in his world. Fever's 103, 104. So, so determined I didn't have an infectious disease, but in the meantime, he had me tested for things like lupus and Lyme disease. I mean, everything you can imagine, still no diagnosis. So I finally, I mean, I'm now at this point, you know, it's four or five weeks in. I'm, like, like I said, I was losing weight. I asked my fat, my primary, if, you know, could it be something gastroenterological, right? So, so he sent me for a CAT scan. Uh, of my stomach and abdomen. And that was normal, except it, it, the lower part of my one lung showed two nodules. And that's mm -hmm. really the path that started me on finding out that I had sarcoidosis. Now I'm about six weeks in at this point, I go for the CAT scan of the lungs and the chest. And of course that came back, you know, with swollen lymph nodes and a lot of nodules and, and of course, and he, my primary jumped to the conclusion it was lymphoma. Which, lymphoma, right. Yeah. Right. And so that was scary. And that's all I heard. After, after lymphoma, I don't think I heard anything else. But I, I got the actual report from the, from the radiologist. And the radiologist was on the ball. And he wrote down not just potentially cancer, but sarcoidosis. That's the first time I ever heard of it. And so I start Googling sarcoidosis and lymphoma and i don't recommend this for everybody but you know i'm i'm comparing the list right 
And the one thing, and then they both have similarities, night sweats, fever, lose weight, that kind of thing. But the one thing that, that sarcoidosis had was rashes on the legs, which I have and still have, you know. And I'm thinking, what are the odds? Like, like how could that, like, there's, there's no way that's lymphoma related. So I went back to my primary and we talked about sarcoidosis. He gave me the old test for sarcoidosis, which I tested out of the normal range. But he concluded incorrectly that if I had sarcoidosis, it would be way out of the normal range. So I actually, I have a son that has um, hepatitis B. And so for the last 20 years, I've been involved in the Hepatitis B Foundation. I'm, I'm sitting on their board, two related nonprofit boards. And so I got used to reading, you know, he was an infant when we found out that he had it. And um, I got used to reading the reports myself. So I went to the um, Cleveland Clinic website and looked up sarcoidosis. They have a great website. And that's where I, I found that the web, their website talks about the old test and how if you're a new patient or you have a mild version, you know, your test might just be slightly out of normal range, which is where I was. So I then went and found a couple of different pulmonologists, found one I liked who had a background in sarcoidosis. But now, you know, now well, all this takes time, right? So now we're about 10 or 11 weeks into my being sick. Um, and I'm finally getting around to maybe getting an accurate diagnosis. And ultimately, I had a uh, bronchoscopy, which confirmed that it was sarcoidosis. Yeah. So, yeah, once they, once they get a, a piece of that granuloma, then then they know for sure that that's what it is. Correct. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and, and so actually, compared to some of the people I've talked to, a, a three-month journey, believe it or not, is relatively short. Yeah, I understand that. I, and I think I was lucky because I could have been headed down the headed headed down the path of lymphoma, completely wrong diagnosis, but for the radiologist who really was on the ball. You know, I was just lucky that I got a radiologist who knew what sarcoidosis was. Right, right. But then it, going back to that original picture, it was like they were they were the CAT scan was of your abdomen. And on the corner of the picture, there's your lung. And in that little corner, they say, huh, that's a nodule in your lung. Correct. So that's that's kind of good that somebody had the, you know, foresight or uh, ability to recognize that something over here on the side of this image didn't look right. That's right. That's exactly what happened. And so they decided that I better get a full picture of the lungs and chest. Right. I want to ask you about the rash on your legs. Was it down around your ankles or where was it? Yeah, it's uh, it's by the, sh it's, it's around the shins, like the lower shins. Right. And right. it's, I, I know, you know, it's funny, but I think that started before I quote unquote felt sick. You know what I mean? I, I, that was maybe the first inclination and it's horrible. I mean, it's not, it's not that it looks horrible, but it's so itchy. You want to tear your skin off. And so Looking back at the whole process, I think that probably appeared a few weeks before I started feeling bad um, and was probably the first wave of sarcoidosis. Yeah, uh, I had the same thing. I had the night sweats and I had the rash around my ankles and had no idea what it was, but I wasn't otherwise feeling bad. 
And but I probably had those rashes around my ankles for two years before I was diagnosed. So, and who would put it together, right? I mean, it's such an right. odd, it's such an odd side effect that you would have yeah. a lung disease, and one of the symptoms would be rashes, rashes around your ankles, right? I mean, it right. doesn't make any sense. Exactly, exactly. So, all right, so let's pick your story back up. So now they know that you have sarcoidosis. So did they go through the normal path, starting with prednisone? No. I, so the, I was lucky. I found a, um, a pulmonologist who had studied at Johns Hopkins and had worked in their sarcoidosis clinic for years before he had come up to Pennsylvania. And his approach was he put me on an inhaler immediately. I mean, even before I had the – my first – went to him for my first appointment, even before I had the bronchoscopy, I think he was leaning towards sarcoidosis because he gave me all kinds of, you know, lung tests, you know, breathing tests. And he knew I had some kind of, um, I was down to around 60% capacity. So right away he's put, put me on a corticosteroid inhaler and a backup inhaler in case I had problems. And, his approach was basically, if it's not getting worse, do the, do the inhaler. I changed my diet. I'm starting to eat much healthier than I was eating. And uh, Motrin, believe it or not, I was Tylenol didn't have any effect at all, but Motrin was making me feel a little better. Um, so I, I, didn't, I never went on uh, oral steroids. Um, oh. Now, it took a little – he said, you know, he didn't want me to be stuck on the steroids, so – between the inhaler and diet, um, and it it finally it took about a year. I mean, it's you know it's a long time, but I guess I avoided the steroids. But it took about a year, and I started. I was feeling pretty much back to normal, but it was a slow burn, you know, to get better. Um, you know, I was on like like three Motrin a day would keep the fever away initially, and then I went down to two Motrin. I, I took them when I started to feel bad, so. Then I was down to two Motrin a day. Then I was down to one Motrin a day. And so finally, about a year after I was first sick, now, you know, I say first sick, well, felt sick and had symptoms. I started right. to feel nor I started to feel normal again. So if I got sick in the summer of 2021, you know, by the summer of 2022, I felt like I was okay, even though I knew I still had the, I still have the rash on the legs and I still get fatigue, but I wasn't that daily wasn't the same kind of fatigue. I mean, when I was first sick, by six o'clock in the afternoon, I was done. That was it. You know, I was in right. bed. I was in bed at six. Wow, wow. And do do you attribute the fatigue to reduced lung capacity or to something deeper in your system that is just sarcoidosis that just makes you tired? Yeah, I think it's more. I think it's more just part of sarcoidosis and not lung capacity because I, my lung capacity got better with the steroid, with the you know inhaler, the steroid inhaler, and the fatigue continued for quite a while. And it's, I mean, unless you had this kind of fatigue, it's not tired. I mean, there's a big. I mean, you you probably maybe suffer from it too. There's a big difference between being tired and fatigue. Where you know, I I sometimes I remember trying to help somebody pack boxes to move, and I went to their place and was bad. I was there maybe a little over an hour, and I was just too tired to continue. And they were very, you know, they knew I wasn't feeling well, and they were nice about it. When I got home, I laid down, and I fell asleep for like two and a half hours in the middle of the day, which I never would do. 
but I mean, it was so, some things just were so exhausting back then. I'm doing better now, but there's still times where if I push myself, um, it's not being tired. It's just being like, okay, that's it. I'm done for the day. You know, it, it, it almost like washes over you. You know, you feel it in your head, you feel it in your body. It's just a, uh, it's different than being tired. And it's, and it's, it's not just lung. I don't think it's related to the lung capacity necessarily. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, I've heard that and I, I appreciate you describing the difference because fatigue is something that you come to associate with sarcoidosis and people listening probably are either feeling guilty because they can't push through it or they're not understanding what's going on. And, and so, and so for you to come on and talk about that, I think is extremely helpful to people. So thank you for that. Yeah, I'll I'll give you one. So when I was, when I found the foundations, uh, the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, my years of work with Hepatitis B Foundation, they have a great patient hotline that assists patients. So when I was sick and I knew this was a rare disease and I, you know, my primary didn't know anything about it, obviously. um, And I was trying to get up to speed. So I contacted them. I found the foundation online and I knew they had this patient um, where they set you up with someone else who was previously, who had been ill also uh, as a mentor in a way. And I was lucky enough to get a gentleman named Jim Kuhn, who I think you've now and have interviewed. And what a great guy. Um, And and he was, you know, he was very helpful in sort of helping me. But one of the things Jim taught me was you think about sarcoidosis, the fatigue is almost, it's almost like you have, your energy is like a like a, a drawer full of spoons, and every time you do something, you take one spoon away, and you only have so many spoons that day. So when you've used <laughs> up the spoons, that's it. You know, you're done, and oh, yeah. that's kind of what it is. I mean, it's kind of right. When, when the, once the fatigue comes, you're that's it. You got to just call it a day. Um, it takes time to recharge. Yeah, uh, Jim. Jim is a wonderful guy, wonderful advocate, and. Uh... Uh, does so many things for the foundation, and and he's just fantastic. So you found you found FSR by uh, what a Google search? Yes. Okay, and then you started using the resources there, and you were assigned probably an advocate, who, who did, right. and that turned out to be Jim. And yeah. you got, you probably had some either phone or Zoom calls with Jim, um, and 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 so you. Uh, very quickly uh, became aware of FSR, but FSR became aware of you. So you've been doing board work for hepatitis. And how did, how did it come to pass that now you're on the FSR board? What was, what was that path like? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I appreciate the fact that I I understand that when you're looking for a cure for disease, handily, it all comes down to finances, right? I mean, you need money to do research and you, you know, you need, it's just expensive. I mean, finding, you know, 20 years of experience with looking for a cure for hepatitis. It's, it's just a lot. It just takes a lot of money to to fund these research projects. So, you know, I was very grateful to the foundation for um, sarcoidosis research for FSR uh, for the help that I got. And I, I made a donation, you know, candidly, I made a nice donation to the foundation and um, uh, they became aware of my background and my years of experience on nonprofit boards. Um, and at the time, they mentioned being on the board, but I actually turned it, 
I didn't want to say turn it down. I said I wasn't really ready or capable. I still was not 100% when I first started dealing with people at FSR. Um, I think I might have been Angela. Um, I think she's O'Malley now. I think it was Friedlander mm-hmm. at the time who reached That's out right. to me. Yeah, and I, I t- very early on, I talked to um, Mary McGowan and Tricia. Um, but I was still pretty, pretty fatigued in between, you know, work, which I still had to do, and some of my other, you know, nonprofit work. Uh, I didn't think I had the bandwidth, frankly, or the capacity. But I got involved in helping them fundraise a little. And, um, uh, you know, as I started feeling better and had more, felt like I had more bandwidth, um, and I helped raise some money for the foundation for FSR, um, we, the discussion moved to what I want to be on the board. And, you know, frankly, I'd love, I'd love to help. You know, I'd like, I'd like to, this is obviously something very personal to me, and I'm happy to be a part of it and to try to, you know, find a cure or other treatments for the disease. I mean, there's really not much out there that's specific to sarcoidosis. You know, they call them like, right. a, you know, there's really no draw. I mean, there's no drug specifically tailored to sarcoidosis. Well, you know, the steroids help, but they're not, they're not a cure. Right. And yeah, there is, there is no sarcoidosis specific drug right now. Um, there, there are two that are in the, in starting to be in the later phases of uh, production and uh, not production, but uh, research. And if everything continues to go well, uh, the, the drug from ATIRE, I think is the closest um, and that would be something that would be a, a steroid relieving drug. Um, so the uh, uh, that would be you know that's that's great, and and I think that the, that FSR has moved the needle a lot. Um, so you're you're relatively new on the board. Uh, let's I'd like for you to tell people a little bit about your your personal. Uh, life and contributions because you are the managing partner at a law firm in Pennsylvania. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I, I give you just a quick background. It's weird giving someone a resume, but so I've been practicing that for 40 years and started out a small firm in uh, Bucks County, PA, and quickly moved in house to two different corporations. Um, the last one was the um, Nutrisystem, actually, which still is, exists. I was there nine years. I was vice president general counsel at the time I left. Um, but I got corporate America is a, you know, can be a little taxing in the ups and downs. And so I went out on my own for another nine years. I have my very, my own practice and, and be careful what you wish for. Cause I was getting so busy that it was, I was either going to have to start building, adding lawyers under me from there we're moving to a firm, and uh, 16 years ago, I found my the current firm I'm with, High Swartz. So I hope you don't mind. I give it a shout out. And uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, my background is was business law, and that at a point, maybe four or five years in, they they were looking for a new managing partner. The old managing partner was going to step away, and um, so I I got the you know the, took over the position as managing partner. That's Gotta be about ten or eleven years now, maybe a little more, and uh, it's been great for me. I mean, I love the firm. It's got a, it's a 20, 23 person law firm at this point, and uh, general, general practice. So we, you know, do pretty much everything, and it's just a nice atmosphere. You know, it's county. We're in two local counties, uh, Bucks and Montgomery, and uh, it's just a, it's a great place to be. 
Cool. What do you do in your free time, if you have any? <laughs> well, I have two kids. That usually takes up some free time. Um, right. You know, it's it's funny. Uh, I used to like to travel a lot, and I'm starting to travel again little by little. You know, between COVID and SARC, you know, for about two years, I was afraid to walk out the door. I have to be honest about that, you know. And it it, it is a little bit mentally and emotionally draining. I mean, getting sarcoidosis right in the middle of COVID was no, you know, I don't think anybody was happy with COVID, but getting sarcoidosis at the same time was no bowl of cherries, you know. So I started to travel a little bit again. I like that. And um, I like sports, but, you know, I've, again, it's more watching now at this stage of my life than going so or doing. But, um, yeah, not a lot anymore. I mean, just uh, between work and volunteer time and children, you know, that's it, family time and travel. Yeah. How old are your kids? Uh, 22 and, well, let's see, soon to be – yeah, 22 and 20, soon to be 23 and 21. Okay. So college age. Yeah, I just graduated from American University, and I've got my daughter is a junior at the University of Delaware. Okay. All right. So you got to keep working for a few years then. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. Well, wait till you get to grandkids like I am, and uh, that, then you'll really be busy. Right. Right. So you said you used to play play sports. I mean, were you? Uh, uh, it, it seems like there's a thread among some of the the people I've interviewed uh, with sarcoidosis that they have, um, you know, that they have been athletes at some level. Uh, were you a you know runner, basketball player, gym guy? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, growing up in Philadelphia, I mean, I, I we played basketball every day, and I played basketball, right. you know. You know, and 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 ultimately switched into tennis. As you get older, you know, just you change. But I played a lot of basketball right. all the way through college and law school, and even after that for a while. I played tennis all the way into my forties, you know, and then slowly other things, you know, things fade. But um, you know, now I'm down to, especially with Sark, I'm down to the treadmill and walking. That's really what that's uh, that sports at this right. point. Um, right. Yeah, so. So you just do you still do the inhaler or are you? On I do. Yeah, I'm on the inhaler every day. Yeah. And that's the only uh, therapy you're taking? Yeah, for now. I mean, that his and I kind of like the approach. His approach is if you're not getting worse, if it's not bothering you. I mean, you know, I use a cream on the, the rash and the inhaler for the lungs. And, you know, thank God so far, that's really all I've needed. And and. I haven't, I don't, I haven't felt the need for anything else. In other words, like, so my breathing is, it seems to be okay. It's not getting worse. You know, it seems to be getting better. So um, I think I just, okay. you know, follow that approach. I, I'm not a big fan of drugs. It's not that I'm against drugs either, but, you know, I, I see as you get older. I mean, they, one thing, you know, they, I'm sure you've been through it. Once you get diagnosed with sarcoidosis, it's find a cardiologist find a rheumatologist, find an ophthalmologist. I mean, you start going through the gamut of all the doctors. And I have a really good cardiologist, too, but, you know, she put me on uh, uh, a cholesterol medication. She wanted to get my cholesterol way down, even though it wasn't way up, but she wanted it way down so where the good cholesterol and bad cholesterol were at the right levels, you know, comparatively. 
So, you know, all of a sudden I'm on a blood pressure medication, a cholesterol medication, I'm taking the inhaler. It just gets to be, you know, you know, baby aspirin. I mean, it, as, little, as little extra as possible is fine with me. I just don't want to end up, you know, taking a handful of pills every night. Yeah, you, you and I are in the exact same boat with respect to that. And I expect that, that that's also why you decided to look at your diet. Yeah, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Cut out red meat for the most part. You know, it's turkey and chicken and fish. I mean, thank God my son's a big sushi fan. So, you know, we can do the sushi together. And you just, I just try to eat a little better than I used to. That's all. You know, you cut out some of the stuff that you really don't need. Sugar, you know, try to cut the sugar down. Processed foods, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. 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 No, I go in fits and starts. When I first got started i was I, I just like all right i'm going cold turkey i started growing wheatgrass in my garage and making uh smoothies and and you know all kinds of stuff and you know so i've slowed then i slowly relaxed into something called the elimination diet uh and and i have a I have had a nutritionist whose husband has sarcoidosis uh nourished by Lindsay, and she had me on this elimination diet um which I did for a long time, and I would encourage you to, to at least look at that if, if that interests you, because I do think it made me feel better. Uh, but ultimately, uh, like most things that are restrictive, I and you know I think we went through the holidays and there were plates of cookies everywhere, and the next thing I knew, I was eating badly again. But I do think the better I eat, the better I feel. I agree sure. with that. I agree with that. When I, and I'm, I was just like you when I was sick. It was turkey. It was fresh vegetables, you know, it was it was um, a little bit of fish, chicken. I mean, almost no meat at all. I just cut meat out pretty much completely, cut out sugar, you know, fresh fruits. You know, I was trying to do all that. So, I mean, not, I didn't cut out natural sugar, but processed, you know, no cookies, no chips, mm -hmm. none of that stuff. And right. it did have a big effect, I think, then, you know, I mean, but but you're right. As you feel better, you backslide, right? So now if I go out to dinner, oh, well, there's bread on the table. <laughs> Who's going to pass that up, right? Um, right? But but so you try, you know. That I, I, one thing I've learned is even if you cheat or you feel like you you know you're not eating well for a little bit, it doesn't hurt. If you once you go back, you go back, right? You can still go back and eat well, and it, it has positive effect. That's right. That's right. So let's have you put your board member hat on now. You, you've probably attended uh, at least a couple of meetings. What is the landscape looking like overall for SARC patients and the foundation and the, the prospect for things getting better? Yes, yeah, so I've actually been to really one board meeting. Um, okay. It was interesting that there was a very interesting presentation by a doctor um, who's looking to fund research that I, I, I found that was very interesting, where he thinks that there's there's a, um, I don't know was it, oh, I don't know if it was a gene, but he thinks there's a way to determine which patients tend to get better. Like there's a real there's like a distinction between patients that seem to just get better from the first attack onward and patients that seem to get worse. You know, there's a, a, a distinct split, right? And he thinks there's a way to determine who's going to follow which path, which would be helpful in, in A, in the diagnosis and, and then future treatment. I think that would be really great to find out. Um, you know, when I, when I first became aware of the board and a lot of what it's doing, it does seem like there's been 
a lot of recent movement and, and gain in communications among and between people who are doing the research, um, uh, sort of this whole initiative to get, you know, institutions on board. Uh, I think that's a great initiative too. I forget what they call it already, but, um, you know, the major universities and hospitals that are, that are doing research in, into SARC and treating patients. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think it's very positive. I mean, candidly, I was very impressed by how much is being done by how few people, you know, it's kind of like the mouse that roared, right? You have, you have a small, a small nonprofit, but it's, it's got its, um, fingers in a lot of pies, um, trying to really move the needle forward. And, and it funds research, which is really, that's the key, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you're not going to get a, you're not going to get a uh, cure without a, without the research to do it. Right. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm impressed by it. And I'm very impressed by the people who are um, on the board. Yeah. I, I have to agree with you. Uh, I'm, I'm on some small local nonprofit boards uh, here in Roanoke, Virginia, where I live and, um, and, and it's some, some very good boards, uh, very effective boards, but uh, I'm, I continue to be impressed by what uh, Mary and Tricia and everybody are doing. Uh, they, they really do a lot with the, with a very small staff. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was, imp- I didn't know, but I mean, I, I like, I love it. It's a great, it's a great concept. Um, I didn't realize that everybody on the board, or at least initially that the board was set up by patients for patients to help find a cure. And I think, you know, and I don't know everybody on the board yet. I mean, I just started meeting people, but, it seems like that's still true today that most of the board members are, are former or current or former patients. Right. Well, Joel, look, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I hope that you continue to have uh, a good health uh, as good as it is now or better. And also uh, on behalf of the sarcoidosis community, as it's represented by the listeners of the podcast, thank you for, for your leadership role. We really appreciate it. Well, great. I, I thank you. I appreciate you inviting me on. All right. Thank you, Joel. Okay. Have a great day. I feel like a zombie just feeding at stumbling. So thanks again to Joel for sharing his story, for lending his expertise and becoming a leader in the mission to find a cure to help FSR with all it does to help those of us with sarcoidosis. The official Sark Fighter song is called Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards. Mark is a fellow Sark fighter, and you can hear his story, the story behind the lyrics to the song, in episode 12. I can tell you I release every other Monday. As I'm speaking today, my trusty dog, Dougal, is, well, has just left the chair in my office. He's been wanting me to play fetch with him today, and I closed the door so he wouldn't come in and disturb me because he keeps dropping the ball on my foot. So, Dougal is not curled up on the chair, but he is clearly around this morning. The backstory to the founding of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is episode 11 with Andrea and Redding Wilson, who started the foundation. Don't forget to look for me on social media under Sarkfighter. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram. I'm even on Peloton as Sarkfighter if you have a Peloton fitness device. 
And my cycling blog called Carl and the Cyclist also has a section called Cycling with Sarcoidosis. If you're new here and you're just trying to figure out what Sark is, you can listen to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart. My story is episode one. Please send me an email at carlinagency at gmail.com. It's also in the show notes. Until next time, keep fighting. Learn to suffer your feel pain someday. Learn endurance, your strength will fade away. Dead man walking, trying to keep up the pace. Dead man walking.